0: The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com slash connect. This morning our sermon comes from Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Good to be with you, even spread out across our city this morning. If you haven't met before, my name is Tim. I serve as the pastor here at Citizens. We're kicking off a brand new series today that I'm so excited for. But before we jump into that, I want to take a minute to talk to you about our preaching philosophy. If I could summarize our goal every time we open the scriptures together in the context of gathered worship, it would be this. Our aim in preaching is to teach the word of God so that our church loves the person, story, grace, and commands of God. We're governed a ton in this by passages like Titus 2, 2 Timothy 3, and 1 Timothy 4, which tell us to preach the word. To put before you week in and week out what God has said in the Bible so that you love him more. That you embrace and receive the gospel and you begin to change into the likeness of Christ. Now what that means is that a lot of the time we do and practice what's called expository preaching. That means we pick a book of the Bible and we work through it little bit by little bit, expositing or explaining the text. And so we did this with our last two sermon series in 1 Timothy and 1 John. We're going to do this again in the spring with the book of Acts. But there are times when as a pastor and as a leadership team, we feel like we need to talk about some specific things. And we'd be better served by doing more of what's called a biblical theology, looking at the whole of the Bible, the whole of the scriptures, and looking at what it says about particular things things. Now, in both instances, I want to be clear, we're going to talk about and we're going to preach from the text. So we never want to say, okay, we want to talk about this. Let's pick some random verses and kind of shove it in and make it work. We always want to teach on and explain and apply God's word to our lives. That's our goal in preaching. But we feel a lot of Christian liberty to zoom out every so often to look at more of the macro, the big picture of what God's word says about particular topics. And that's what we're going to do in this series. We're calling this series rhythms and formation. What we want to do is we want to look at what the Bible says about various spiritual practices or what you might call spiritual disciplines that help us as followers of Jesus first abide or be with God and second lead to our spiritual formation. In other words, we want to talk about spiritual practices that help us be with Jesus and grow as Christians. And here's where I want to start us today as I kind of get us into and kick off the series. Here's where I want to start us. All of us are disciples experiencing formation. All of us are disciples experiencing formation. All of us, Christian or not, secular, atheist, Buddhist, whatever your belief system is, it doesn't matter. All of us are disciples experiencing formation. Pastor John Mark Comer says it this way. He says, spiritual formation isn't a Christian thing. It's a human thing. Spiritual formation isn't a Christian thing. It's a human thing. Let me show you what I mean. To be human is to be dynamic, not static meaning we are all changing. We're all growing. We're all shifting. And we all like to think that we are the primary acting agent in our changing, that we are the master of our ship. And what that means is because we think that oftentimes we are blind to the formation that is happening to us just by going about our lives. It's so sneaky. We are shaped and formed as we're just going about our day. As we're going to work, as we're taking care of the kids, as we're getting coffee or lunch with a friend, as we're watching TV or scrolling through Instagram or TikTok or eating, whatever we do, that is shaping us, shaping us towards a vision of the good life, shaping towards how we treat others, shaping us towards how we view ourselves. We're all being shaped We're all being formed every second of every minute of every hour of every day. You are being shaped by the ideas and the habits and the rhythms and the routines you have by the people around you, by the media you consume. Now to our 21st century individualistic, autonomous, just me and myself, I'm the captain of my destiny. I'm an original. We we think that sounds like either a complete lie or the worst thing ever, but it's true. I mean, think about it. Even the idea that you're an autonomous, individualistic, completely original you and only you ever for all history, that idea alone, where'd you learn that from? Who told you that? Who influenced you towards believing that idea? Who shaped you towards it? See, the question is not if you are being shaped. The question is not if you are a disciple, a follower, an apprentice of something or someone. It's who or what you are a disciple or follower or apprentice of. We're all being shaped and formed. We are shaped and formed by our rhythms, routines, and habits. And The problem is that as broken, sinful people in a broken, sinful world, that shaping by default is not towards the things of God. You're not going to suddenly wake up one day 20 years from now and all of a sudden be flourishing with God. You're being shaped away from him. And so the question is, what do we do? What do we do? If our default habits and rhythms and routines are spiritually forming us away from God, the answer, as we're going to talk about in this series, is to step into spiritual practices such that we experience a deep counterformation away from the world and towards God. Let me say that again to step into spiritual practices such that we experience a deep counterformation away from the world and towards God. Romans 12 2 would say it this way do not be conformed to the this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We need a counterformation away from the world and towards God. Enter Jesus. Matthew 28, this is where we're going to be this morning. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. This passage is often referred to as the Great Commission. It's Jesus' final words after dying on the cross and rising from the dead, right before he ascends and takes a seat at the right hand of God. This is Jesus' final charge to his disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Look at what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. AKA, I'm in charge. I'm the boss. I got you. I got this. And this is the, the command. Go therefore and make disciples. Underline that phrase. Make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, I've come and I've made these guys, my disciples, I've taught them to radically reorient their lives around me such that they experience a deep counterformation away from the spiritual formation of the world and towards deep intimacy with Jesus. And now I'm sending them out to make more disciples. So keep Matthew 28 in the back of your head. We'll come back to it. I promise, but I want to spend some time just talking about Jesus. So Jesus was, and is a lot of things. He's the son of God. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah, which means the long awaited one who has come to save the world. But one of the things I think we often forget or don't think about or don't fully understand uh, who Jesus was is that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. A rabbi is a Hebrew word meaning teacher. And rabbis were teachers who would travel around from town to town sharing their yoke, which was a first century euphemism for their set of teachings or ideals. And they would share these teachings with others. And that's what Jesus was. Jesus was a young, brilliant, kind of anti-status quo rabbi from the northern part of Jerusalem of Israel in the first century. In fact, in the Gospels, the four books at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus had about 90 conversations with different people. And 60 of those 90 conversations, the other people referred to him as rabbi or teacher, now, one of the distinguishing aspects of being a rabbi is having disciples or followers, a group of people who would follow your teachings, who would learn your ways, and then would te- take your teachings out to others. And during his time on earth, Jesus calls these 12 to be his disciples, his followers. And he probably had other disciples as well, other men, other women, but these were his closest 12. And so he calls this, these 12 to... He accomplishes our redemption, he goes to the cross, he rises again, and then he sends these 12 out, Matthew 28, to go and be his disciples. But here's the thing, the Great Commission, these verses were not just simply for Jesus' first disciples. They were called to make disciples, but then those disciples were called to go and make more disciples, who would then make more disciples, who would then make more disciples. And guess what, if you look throughout history, this happened. Jesus' first 12 followers, they went out and they made disciples, who made more disciples, who made more disciples. And the gospel spread and spread and spread until here we are today in 2020 on the east side of Charlotte, worshiping and following Jesus. And now our call is the same. You and I, everyone who claims the name of Jesus, is called to be a disciple who makes disciples. To learn what it means here and now to actually follow Jesus. Jesus, to be his disciple. That's what it means to be a Christian. The call of Christ is not believe in me so you go to heaven when you die. The call of Christ is to come and be my disciple, to come and follow me. One of the things you'll hear us talking about a lot at Citizens is our five identities. It's five identities we think as a follower of Jesus you should step into. Worshipper, family, servant, missionary, and disciple. Someone who follows Christ. But here's the problem. The problem is that we don't fully get what being a disciple of Jesus actually means. So for many of us, our discipleship, our following Jesus, if we're really leaning into the ways of Jesus, looks something like this. So we, you know, give away or spend two hours on a Sunday getting to gather together and worship. And then, you know, we have two hours on another night of the week where we get together with our community group. And then, you know, if we're really serious about our faith, we're really serious about Jesus, maybe you know, we'll read our Bible three or four or five times a week. We'll get coffee or lunch once with a Christian friend and talk about the things of God. And and that's all great. I I don't want you to mishear me. That is all so good and necessary parts of your discipleship. But when we compare it to the rest. Of the counterformation that we experience in our lives and in the world, it just doesn't hold weight. I mean, your seven to eight to ten hours a week of trying to follow Jesus is nothing compared to the intense amount of counterformation you experience from 40 to 50 hours of work every week. Three hours a day on social media, which is the national average for people aged 16 to 35. An hour or two of catching up on a favorite show every night. Our discipleship to Jesus just doesn't compare. And to be honest, for Jesus as a Jewish rabbi, the call to be a disciple makes our five to 10 hours a week look like nothing. So what I want to do is I want to show you for just a second what being a disciple to a rabbi in first century Jewish tradition meant. I want to show you the gravity of it. So the word for disciple in Hebrew uh, is the word Talmudim. Talmudim can be translated as follower or student, but don't think follower like a social media follower, like I follow you on Instagram and I like all your posts. And don't think student like I go to class and take notes and write papers and, and take tests. I think the most helpful summarizing word in that definition of Talmudim is the word apprentice. So think uh, someone who works in the trade industry and they do an apprenticeship. They apprentice to a plumber or an electrician or a carpenter, someone who learns and studies and under someone else so that they can understand it, but also so that they can practice it themselves. Now, being a a Talmudim, being a disciple was not something that was just available for everyone. Took a lot of works and steps to get there. So in the Jewish education system, which in those days was synonymous with their religious system, there were three stages to becoming a Talmudim, to being a disciple. So the first stage was called Beit Sefer, think primary school. Every Jewish kid went through this starting around age five, and it would last till they were around 12 years old. And during this time, they would memorize the the Torah, what we know as the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And some of you are like, I don't even want to read Leviticus. Try memorizing it at the age of seven. This is crazy, intense amount of spiritual formation and development. So they would be in this, every Jewish kid in this system would be there. So they're about 12 years old. And At that point, they had one of two options. Either they would leave school and they would apprentice under a family member or a dad, and they would learn a trade. They could be a carpenter or have some kind of skill. But for the best of the best, the brightest, you would go on to level two. Level two was called Beit Talmud. Talmud. And and what this was, was this was a room built off to the side of the synagogue. And there was a full-time paid teacher. It was reserved only for men. And you would study there from around 12 years old to about 14 or 15. And during that time, you would memorize the rest of what we now know as the Old Testament, Genesis all the way through Malachi. So this is no joke day in and day out, eight, nine, 10 hours a day of studying and memorizing the scriptures. Then, if you were the best of the best of the best, this is what would happen. You would enter phase three, being a Talmudim, a disciple. So what happened is at the end of Beit Talmud, when you're about 15 or 16 years old, you would sit down with a rabbi for some sort of interview. And the rabbi would ask you a ton of questions about uh, the Bible, about the scriptures, about your interpretation. And he would ask you all of these different theological questions, trying to see if you were worthy of being his disciple. And if you deemed that you were worthy of following him, of being his Talmudim, he would say something to you like, come and follow me come and be my disciple. Sound familiar? Hold that thought. Let's keep going. So if you were invited to be a Talmudim, invited to be a disciple or apprentice to a rabbi, you had three main goals. The first goal was to be with your rabbi. Again, you're not just a student in the class. You would spend 24-7 with your rabbi. You would literally follow them around. You would eat by their side. You would sleep by their side. There's a, a well-known Hebrew ble- blessing in that time that said something along the lines of may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Meaning basically that they would follow so close to their rabbi that when their rabbi walked on dirt roads, they would kick dust up onto their disciples. There's just a closeness, just being with your rabbi. The second goal that you had was to become like your rabbi. So as you spend all of this time with your rabbi, you learn to be their greatest imitator. Disciples would try as hard as they could to emulate everything their rabbi did. They wanted to talk like him. They wanted to make the same jokes, have the same sense of humor. They wanted to eat the same way, use their hands the same way, talk with the same verbiage and everything. Their goal was to become a carbon copy of their rabbi. They wanted to do exactly the things that he did, dress the same way, all of that. The second goal, the third goal is do what your rabbi did. So the eventual goal after years and years of being a disciple and apprentice to your rabbi is that your rabbi would trust you and send you out to carry these teachings, this yoke to others. You would carry on his work and become a rabbi Yourself. So I want you to see this. By the time you even got to being labeled as a Talmudim, as a disciple, you had full-time intense spiritual formation for upwards of 15 years. And then you became a disciple. And then it took around 10 plus years of being a disciple, of closely following a rabbi before you were released to do the things you saw your rabbi doing. Intense spiritual formation over years and years and years. Now, Jesus comes to earth. Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. And he follows this pattern of discipleship as a rabbi. Look with me at Mark chapter one. Jesus calling his first disciples. Mark one, verse 16. Passing along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 18. And immediately they left their nets and notice this, followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and get this, followed him. Skip down to Mark 2, verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Notice this, follow me. And he rose. And what did Levi do? He followed him. Skip down again, Mark 3, verses 13 and 14. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that, look at this, they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out Demons. So over and over again, Jesus calls these first disciples and the call is come and follow me, follow me, be my disciple, be my apprentice, learn my ways. And then in chapter three, verse 14, we see that they are called so that they would be with him. And then he's going to send them out to preach and to cast out demons, which is the exact same thing Jesus had been doing already in Mark chapter 1 and 2. Jesus' invitation for these early disciples is to come, be with me, become like me, and then do what I am doing. So what does this have to do with our series, Rhythms and Formation? We, as a church, all of us, myself included, need some deep spiritual formation. We need a counterformation away from the world and towards God. And that happens by learning what it means to live as a disciple or an apprentice to Jesus. Christian philosopher Dallas Willard says it so directly and helpfully. He says this. He says, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. To be a disciple is the call of Jesus. What does that mean? It means to do the exact same thing the first disciples of Jesus did, the same thing Christ still calls us to do to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. It's our framework for discipleship and following Jesus to reorient all of our lives around apprenticeship to Jesus, to first be with Jesus, to abide with him, to sit in his presence. We'll talk about that more in a second, but also to become like Jesus. Or as Romans 12 or 2 Corinthians 3 say it, to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ, to experience rich and deep spiritual formation. And lastly, to do what Jesus did, namely to be sent into the world, preaching the gospel, doing good works, and joining God in his mission to bring about his kingdom. That's our discipleship framework as a church, how we want to live into and help others live into their discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus. what we're doing with this series Because we're starting with the first move of discipleship, and that's be with Jesus. So the whole of this sermon series over the next seven weeks is going to be about, we're going to teach on practices that help us be with Jesus. Eventually, in the coming years, we hope to come back to this and talk about what it looks like to become like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. But I want us to first start with learning what it means to be with Jesus. That's where it begins. God has given us practices of spiritual formation, practices, disciplines, rhythms, routines, habits that we are invited into to be with God, practices we see in God's word, practices we see in the life of Jesus, in the life of the early church, practices God gave us to help us as disciples be followers of Jesus, be with him, spiritual practices like Bible reading, prayer Sabbath, silence and solitude and fasting and feasting. So here's what we're going to do each week. Uh, we're going to preach on a sermon, teach on a practice. So, we're going to talk about a practice or two. We're going to talk about the what, talk about the why, talk about the how, talk about how we see that practice in Scripture, how we step into that as disciples and apprentices of Jesus. And then we've actually put together a website, rhythmsandformation.com. And on this site, we have resources and guides that will actually go into more detail on each practice. So you'll be able to go on there and hear the sermon on that practice, see different resources that we've developed. And one of those key resources is a practice guide. And that guide is going to walk you through what the practice is, going to give you some helpful tools and some tips for that practice. And it's actually going to give you some exercises to do so you can actually implement those spiritual practices into your life. And so I want to make this really clear, the rhythmsandformation.com You have to do the guides, like you have to, this sermon series will only be as beneficial to your walk with Jesus as you are willing to step into the guides. It's a little bit of a, you get what you pay for kind of thing, right? You get what you put, you get out of it, what you put into it. So, if you, if you want to get out of this series, if you want to learn to abide with Jesus, you got to use the guides throughout the week. Because we can talk about the spiritual practices. We can try to convince you that they're a good idea, that God calls you and invites you into them. But if you don't step into them yourself, you're not going to learn to experience that deep spiritual formation that we're going for. So, what we're doing in this series, we want to teach our people, we're going to teach ourselves how do we be with Jesus. The phrase we see in scripture is that we abide with him. This is what John 15 says. Jesus says, "'Abide in me, and I in you. "'As the branch cannot bear much bear fruit by itself, "'unless it abides in the vine, "'neither can you, unless you abide in me. "'I am the vine, and you are the branches. "'Whoever abides in me, and I in him, "'he it is that bears much fruit, "'for apart from me you can do nothing.'" first and most necessary step for any Christian to experience spiritual formation or to bear fruit, as John says, is to abide in Christ, to learn to be with Jesus, to sit in the presence of God, to learn to recognize and submit to the spirit of God in our days and in our lives, to realize, God, you're here and you've always been here, and I haven't been. My mind has been elsewhere. My soul has been elsewhere. I just haven't paid attention to you at all over the past day, over the past week, over the past month, but you're here, and you're calling me back to an awareness of the reality that you are working and present and active in my life, and then letting that awareness of the presence of God and His Holy Spirit change you. That's what it means to abide in Christ. It's allowing God's word and God's spirit to fill our minds, direct our wills, and transform our affections. So the issue with our spiritual formation is not, I think, a lack of desire. But if we did a survey of every single member in our church, most, if not all of us would say, I want to grow more and more in my relationship with Jesus. I want to be more mature as a Christian. I want to grow up in my faith. The problem is that our lives are built and structured in such a way that won't actually lead to spiritual formation and discipleship. The problem is our intentional rhythms of formation are are off or worse non-existent. We need new spiritual practices that are going to help us actually be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. We have to frame up our lives in such a way that moves us towards this. And listen, this doesn't happen overnight, right? We're not going to do one series for seven weeks. And you're not going to do a couple of practices here and there. And suddenly you're a fully formed follower of Jesus. That's not how it works. I mean, think about it, the Jewish system of discipleship, the Talmudim, it was 30 plus years of training and intense discipleship and spiritual formation before they would even be considered ready to start teaching and leading others. And I want that to be both a comfort and a challenge to you, to be a challenge to you. You don't read your Bible once and then boom, fully formed follower of Jesus. That's not how it works. And some of us are frustrated because it feels like, man, I did a week of spiritual disciplines. I read my Bible for a week. I prayed for a week and it just feels like I haven't grown at all. This takes time. You have to be willing to play the long game, to practice these habits until they become the natural rhythms of formation in our lives. Let it be a challenge, but let it also be a comfort. If you've been a Christian for a month, six months, a year, five years, and you still feel like, man, I just don't have this figured out. I still struggle with that sin. I still don't know the Bible like I want to. That's okay. It's a long game of spiritual formation, training yourself towards an end. So, our goal with this series, rhythmsinformation.com. We're going to learn together to put into practice being with Jesus as we step into our discipleship and apprenticeship of him. Let me, let me end with this this morning. When you understand the Jewish system for discipleship, that being a Talmudim, a disciple, was reserved for the best of the best of the best, Jesus' invitation to us to be his disciples becomes all the more shocking and beautiful. Where Jewish rabbis only called the best and brightest to be their disciples? Jesus called fishermen and tax collectors and tradesmen, not the cream of the crop. Where Jewish rabbis only called men to be their disciples, Jesus invites women, Mary, Martha, and others to follow him. Where Jewish rabbis called disciples based on their merit and on their potential, Jesus calls us to follow him based on his merit, his works, and not our own. This means the call of discipleship, of being an apprentice to Jesus, is a call to freedom. It's not based on what you've done. It's not based on what you can do. It's not about how well you can abide with him or how much you abide with him. It's about who you're abiding in, namely Jesus, the author of our salvation, the redeemer of our souls. Not just a good rabbi and a good teacher, but a good savior who calls us disciples and apprentices and followers, but also calls us sons and daughters. The invitation of apprenticeship to Jesus is is to get to be with the one who loved you first and loves you perfectly. You get to be with Jesus and you get to let the Holy Spirit transform you. I don't know of a better invitation than that, to get to be in the presence and recognize the presence of the one who loved you when you were his enemy. loves you despite of your sin and your shortcomings. My... Goal for you as a pastor and for our church during this series and in the months and years to come is that we would understand what it means to live a life of discipleship and apprenticeship to Jesus that leads to a deep counterformation away from the world and towards God. I say this to, to every single person who becomes a member of our church. So before you become a member, you sit down with me one-on-one or two-on-one, and we have a conversation about what it looks like for you to be a member. And one of the things I say to every single person is, hey, I'm I'm really excited excited about what you being a member of our church means for our church. Like I'm really excited for the role that you will play and the way that our church will be better because you're a part of it. But just as excited as I am about that, I'm equally excited, not about what God wants to do through you, but about what God wants to do in you. I want our church to be full of people that are struggling and tripping over themselves and trying their hardest to be faithful followers and apprentices to Jesus, knowing that this is a long game. Spiritual formation takes time. But we're willing to say, hey, I want to be a disciple to Christ. I want to be an apprentice, a follower of him. And so I'm going to put into practice what I need to, to abide with him, to recognize the presence of God in my life and to be formed away from the world and towards the things of God. My prayer is that 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, that all of us, because we've learned to put in these practices, will love Jesus more, and follow Jesus more, and do the things that he calls us to do more, because we've learned to put in the time now, to implement these practices now. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for Jesus. Rabbi, teacher, but also Savior, Christ, Lord, Messiah, who came, died, rose again, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and then invites us to know him and follow him and apprentice under him as he shows us the beauty of a life lived in the kingdom of God. And I pray that over the next seven weeks that we will be a people who learn to put into practice these spiritual practices that will actually be transformed and shaped away from the world and towards you just by implementing these small practices and routines and rhythms into our lives of Bible reading and prayer and silence and solitude and Sabbath and rest and fasting and feasting and all of this. God, will we be a people that learn to put it on our calendar, put it in our schedule and have the discipline to do it because we know it's where true life is found and it's how we're formed and shaped towards you. God, I pray that this series is, is impactful and influential for our people. They will learn what it means to abide and to be with you, the one who loved us when we were your enemies, the one who loved us first. We love you. these things in Jesus' name. Amen.